Hey, we're back with another episode of Get This, the show about things people love. And I'm here with author Brianna De Silva. Brianna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. And you're a return guest to the show. Uh, I believe the last time we spoke was it was it last? It must have been last year in the before time. Yeah, sometime <laughs> last year. I don't remember right. exactly when. Right. Yeah. yeah. It is now August of 2021. Uh, the world is still completely insane. Uh, and this this is, of course, an interview podcast about things people love. I'm Kevin Kevin Couch, and I'm in um, St. Paul, Minnesota. Brianna, where in the world are you? I'm in Denver, Colorado, so oh, I'm in the right. same place where I was before. Um, yeah, still okay. uh, still by the mountains, more or less. <laughs> all right, all right, cool. And uh, of course, again, this is the show about things people love. So what is it that you're excited about that you want to share on this, on this show? Um, I understand you have a book coming out. The last time we spoke, you were working on this novel. So I think we're going to get an update about that. And I want to kind of sort of pick your brain about it. But what are you, what, what's the angle today? What are we going to talk about? Yeah, I was thinking we could talk about um, mythology and, or <laughs> I guess some people would, might have to be careful because some people might not be comfortable with me unequivocally putting these categories together, but I would say mythology and religion <laughs> um, because a lot, of, um, a lot of my research in that has also like informed my world building. The last time we were talking about languages, right. so I like similar. This, this phrase, world building, uh, yeah. it evokes genre fiction a lot of the time but yeah. every author does this whether they're projecting a real world artifice this is something i've been thinking about lately in my own work in my own writing in the theater is this idea that i have about quote unquote realism and how <clears throat> it's kind of an absurd thing to even say well I'm, this is this is a you know this is realism this is how people talk it's like well no no, you're you're throwing actors uh, a bunch of lines and putting them on stage. There's nothing about this that is realistic. It can't even be the whole thing is artificial. So yeah, I, that's that's my own little tangent. But um, that's so true though, because like mm -hmm. people don't think about it, but no matter what genre you're writing, you always have to world build because every story has its own rules that it's going to follow and its own character web and you know setting and so you have to decide like if you're if your story is set in a coffee shop what is this coffee shop like who works there what's the vibe like all that matters for the story so world building is something that is you need to do it in every genre i would say just in different ways <laughs> yeah so you're thinking a lot about world building and mythology and religion and uh, as these things pertain to your work writing your your novel which comes out in september am i right yeah, okay. uh, it's coming out real soon. I guess uh -huh. like three weeks from now. Plug um, it. What are we? What's it called? Where's it going to be? Might as well just do it. Just, just <laughs> sure. get it out of the way. Wait, I can I can show a picture of it. This isn't hey. like a final copy, but wow, this is what looks, it looks like. <laughs> that looks very cool. City of Reckoning. That's a very mm -hmm. cool cover. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, so yeah, City of Reckoning. It is a uh, dark epic fantasy about a group of young people who get caught up in a war and begin to wonder if they're fighting for their own side. And it has a lot of uh, things around uh, like revolution and freedom and, uh, and also um, trauma and revenge and things like that. So, yeah. Nothing pertinent to our current situation here in the United States of America. Never. No. Why totally drawn out write? of thin air. We're living in a golden age. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. And the cover looks fantastic. Did you, you must have worked with an artist uh, to design that. Um, I actually I hired um, the team 
at designforwriters.com. Okay. And I recommend them. They're really great. They're There's based in, in the UK. All right. um, but yeah, it's like a, just a two, two man shop. I have two people, I think, that, that run it all. But yeah. Very, Book very design and cover design and everything, it really is an art. It's an art form. And uh, yeah. people, we used to say, oh, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's completely insane, of course, because everyone does and everyone will. <laughs> it's, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a cover is, is the most, one of the most important marketing pieces of a book. It, it's going to tell you what kind of book it is and what genre it is and whether it's the kind of thing you want to read. So it's important to get it right. Well, for the people who are not watching this episode of Get This on YouTube, we're on the website uh, at getthispodcast.com. I got to get my own plug in. Uh, <laughs> let's describe the cover. How would you describe it? So, I mean, if you put it oh, up yeah. again, yeah. So it's like, let's see. It's like uh, you've got this big old um, bat wing on one side. It's like, a, it's like an illustrated cover. Um, very painterly and kind of uh, not a very detailed illustration. So it's very stylistic. And in the background, you've got um, just a bunch of like fire and flames everywhere. Um, it's a very like angry looking cover. But then you've see, got a little <laughs> silhouette of a, uh -huh. a, a girl with a um, bow and arrow with a with a bow. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. do, do your characters. Uh, I'm, I'm into archery. So do your characters do archery? Um, yeah, I, I, archery isn't like a huge part of the story, but there are two characters, um, who, who are archers. Um, but yeah, cool. funny enough, the one that, that uses archery more in the book is not the one that that silhouette is. It's a different uh -huh. girl. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, and what was that process like having it designed? Uh, did you have many iterations or did they hit a home run right away? They pretty much hit a hit. Uh, Wow. They pretty much hit a home run right, right away. I had like a bunch of, I mean, the, the, there was a big process at the beginning of like, you know, going through what the cover needed to accomplish and what the feel was and all this stuff. And they sent me two different options. Um, and then that was the one that I chose. I like showed it to a bunch of people. I was like, which of the, out of these two covers would you pick up at the, you know, at the store? Or whatever? A little AB testing there. Yeah. And, and literally every single person chose that cover. So I was like, okay, so that's the one. Um, and then I like had them do some variations. I was like, can you do this or this? And then no matter what they did, I always was like, actually just keep it as it was. The, <laughs> the first version was perfect. Uh, I'm sure they love that. Yeah, people yeah. love that. No, they, they sound like a great team. And I, the end uh, product looks, looks very cool. Can I see the back of it real quick just for kids? Yeah, I can't get some see blurbs? the spine. The, um, I'm still getting some, but I have, I have, I have one right now. Okay. It's not on, it's not on here. It's, uh -huh. um, but, uh, yeah, this is just like the, the right. regular back copy. Okay. Um, yeah, it looks, but, look, just looks fabulous. How many pages is it? It, is, it looks like it might be 350, 400 pages. Oh, it's huge. This is, <laughs> it's closer to 800. It's what? very big. Yeah, okay. it's a big book. What? This is, this is a brick. So this is like, wow. This is a, this is a big adventure if you, if you want a really big adventure. If you want to just quick, fast read, this isn't going to be your kind of book. Where I mean, people, it's going to be fast. Yeah. Where are but, people going to be able to find it? Um, it will be online anywhere. Um, the right a, as I speak right now, the ebook is everywhere. The the print pre order has taken forever. It should be up any day now. Um, but uh, it won't. It probably won't be like in stores. But if you you'll be able to go to any store and request it. So uh -huh. great. Um, that's, okay. Yeah. Now I, I, let me just. I'm just going to ask the sort of uh, basic interview questions, I guess, and we'll we'll go deeper as we go. But these are the things that really genuinely pop into my mind. I don't have like some list of questions, but I, I would ask anybody: How long have you been working on it? <laughs> 
it took seven years. <laughs> this, is, this is why I, I love being a playwright because I can write an entire play in, in three weeks. And when I talk to novelists, my brain just, I just, I can't, I just can't imagine. Seven years. Okay. All right. Well, so the problem, part of the reason why it took so long was because I was still learning how to like write a novel because this is my first published novel, right? Like I'd written novels before. They were all bad. And as it goes, you always have to like write oh, a yeah. lot. If anyone is oh, yeah. learning how to write a novel, just as everyone says this, but it's eternal truth. Your first novel is not going to get published. Just accept that. <laughs> Probably not your third either. But um, yeah. And so there was a lot of like just learning process over that. And I ended up completely rewriting it once, sort of twice. Um, but uh, yeah, and I didn't really, ugh, but there's a lot of reasons why it happened. But I've learned a lot since then about being having a better plan because a lot of the problems with why I had to rewrite it one time was because there were just so many structural issues with the story that I had mm-hmm. to fix. Yeah. So, so the plan is when I write book two, I will not take seven years. <laughs> As right now, I was doing this this morning, actually, working on making, I'm just, I'm trying to get a lot better at outlining, because the better an outline you have beforehand, the less fixing you have to do later. So if I can get Without the story down the first time, then you're just editing. <laughs> you're not oh, rewriting. Right, right. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, how many books are there going to be in this, in this world that you've built? Um, so in the world, so in this, I'll, I'll answer first by saying, in this particular story, there's just two. So and and if you just read the first one, you'll be content. It's a full story. Um, Only two eight hundred page books. <laughs> no, right? no big deal. Yeah, yeah, but but it is part of a duology. Um, so there will be if you if you like the characters and all that, and you want to find out what happens later and the implications to, the, to things that happen in this book. There is a, there is a sequel that I'm working on now. Um, but then I will write. Uh, uh, so a total, I'm planning a total of four duologies like that, that are all in this world, that are all standalones in a sense. Like you could read just one of those du- duologies without reading the others. But if you do end up reading them all, it's, it's going to be like a, a much bigger, more epic story. Um, so that's the plan. <laughs> it's going to take a while. Great. Okay. Well, it's been nice knowing you. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, how, do you, how do you typically work? What is, what is your process? I mean, quite literally, physically, do you have a, de- a dedicated place for, for your writing? Do you do it every day? Uh, what does that look like? I don't do it every day. That's always the ideal I'm striving towards, but life is life. So you can't always have your ideal. Um, But I I write mostly in the mornings, um, like early morning. And uh, when it comes to like the process for writing an individual scene, I I do it in like two stages. So, I I mean, after I know what's what's happening, so I have like the outline. Um, Then I do what I call the vomit draft. So I literally just, I'm like, Plopping everything down, like okay, then this person says that, and this, and and I don't have to think about sentences. I'm just figuring out what happens, and then I come back to it, and then I actually write it. I um, love the vomit draft personally. It's so good. Uh, you do the same the, thing. Oh, well, sort of. I, again, it, it, it's different for for the playwriting uh, because every you don't have to construct sentences and paragraphs quite so much. It's a little more, maybe a little more. It's it's all spoken. It's all dialogue, pretty much. Uh, so it's a different animal, but yeah, you just, the metaphor I've always used is that you, if you're a sculptor, you don't, and, and somebody who's commissioned a, a statue that's five foot eight, you don't start with uh, a piece of stone that's five foot eight. You start with a piece of stone that's seven feet tall, and then you chisel down and you, you shape it. So that first draft, 
yeah, write, write a 160 page play and then cut it to 90 pages or cut it to hundred pages. That's what I, that's, so yes, vomit draft, just get it out, get it out, get it out. Don't worry if, it, if there's exposition, don't worry if it's not tight because you're going to have time to do it. You know, Hemingway, right? Well, write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> that's a great quote. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, you don't always, you don't actually have to be drunk, but you can, you can write with that kind of ecstatic purge. I'm going to get this on the page and I'm going to have it. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Uh, so what's, what's preventing you from writing every day? Is it a day like work, work obligations or. Honestly, the problem is that sometimes, you know, I don't go to bed early enough. And so then I don't wake up early enough, <laughs> but it's, it's literally just that simple. It's like, Oh, you know, there's just, you know, whatever I'm hanging out one night with people or something. And then I can't get up the next morning. It's, it's just basic stuff like it's that. Living life. Discipline. Yeah. yeah. You're, and you're, uh, you know, yeah, you got to live that life too. You can't that right. in a sense that is all writing. You don't want to be somebody who just ends up writing about writers writing. Uh, yeah, so it's have, boring. <laughs> you have to go and live a life. I mean, we were going to go to the gym this morning, but I, I got sucked in. I watched Jaws 2. Oh. And then we were like, it was quite late and our son was asleep. And we, it's kind of when you're a parent, mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't think you have, you have kids, do you? No, yeah. when I'm you're not a parent, parent yet. <laughs> when you have, yeah. One thing about having kids is that when they go to bed and if they're sleeping for four or five hours at a stretch, suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, we have we're going to watch Jaws 3 now, <laughs> which is a terrible movie. But we put it on and it was just wonderful just to watch this cheesy, awful 80s movie. Anyway, so I understand that like, yeah, it's tough. And I was going to work on something last night myself too. And it's just like, no, last night was just a night to watch dumb movies. Um, well, so, okay. Uh, seven years working on this novel. You're releasing it next month. You have this, yeah. is that... Um, but uh, you said that's not the actual book that you have. You, you're gonna you're gonna have proof copies coming or author copies. Yeah, this copies this coming. this right here is uh, <laughs> the spine is where it's no longer the actual design. It says draft six, draft uh-huh. seven is the one people are gonna read. <laughs> okay, so all right. I've got all these like notes of things I was editing in this one, but yeah, um, yeah, I have those files up, and then I'm gonna get a copy of that soon. So, are you have you been working with a professional editor? Yes, I actually used two different editors um, at different points. Mm. So I had a, a developmental editor uh, years ago. That was before the first rewrite. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that was just like getting some, you know, some input on the general structure of the story and stuff like that. And then I used later on, um, I used a uh, line editor. Although she kind of did a hybrid. She kind of did like line editing and like, I don't know what the term would be because it was like, she was giving feedback on like um, some pacing stuff on like a chapter by chapter level too, mm-hmm. um, but also on a sentence by sentence level. So it was like kind of a mix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you had a, a, a person mentoring you through this process? Are you in a, a chat group? How are you navigating it? There's a lot. People don't understand how much goes into the production of a book. They don't. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't have a mentor though. That would be cool. I, I, I mainly <laughs> just have a lot of friends and like random acquaintances <laughs> online. So I know a lot of writers. So I get a lot of, um, a lot of input and advice and learn things from people that way, I would say. 
mm-hmm. kind of osmosis. We're just learning from each other constantly. <laughs> well, I have a, a mm-hmm. fair number of like self-published writers too, like as a mix, of, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a mix of different people that are published in different ways. So There is so much more of that going on and uh, the internet really makes the barrier of, barrier of entry low. You just have to build that audience. Mm-hmm. You got to get that audience. And to do that, sometimes right. you have to have the product too. We think about this a lot. Um, and I talk with my buddy, Brad, who I do this other podcast with, artofdarkpod.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we talk about this a lot. We think about like audience building and how do you get people engaged? And it's, there's so much noise now, but if you can cut through it and break through, the opportunity is just incredible. Uh, yeah. I want to ask, uh, what happened seven years ago, eight years ago, uh, where you said, ah, I'm going to write this. Did, it, did, did the idea just come to you and you go, I'm going to write an 800 page epic is it fair to call it fantasy or sort yeah. of like fantasy novel uh, called City of Reckoning? All at once, it just downloaded. You were Neo, uh, and now you knew Kung Fu. Or was it Was it like no. slowly? How did that happen? Most of my, like most of the story ideas I have, I can like think about moments like that, or, or it's usually actually a fusion of like two different story concepts or ideas that come together. And I'm like, oh, that could make a story. Mm. Um, with this one, I don't remember because it was so long ago. It was just like a slow evolution of, of various things. I was just like, I just kind of, I, at that point, I had just kind of always been world building for like years and thinking about stories in this world that I was thinking about. Um, and then at some point, uh, several different ideas kind of coalesced and became one. And, uh, but then it changed so many times. So it was like the original story evolved. And then and, and finally, when I was choosing, when I was finally going to write it, it was something very different. And then that was even very different from, from what is actually being published now. So yeah, it, it was just a slow evolution. <laughs> you know what I'm hearing and what it's making me think of is sort of this idea that there's like a dialectic that the artist goes through in our own minds where you go, well, I want to write something like this, but I have an idea to do that. And I, I had this just recently with something I'm working on where I go, oh, they're the same idea. I just have oh, to combine yeah. these two things. And they're kind of incongruent. Like they don't, it wouldn't, you wouldn't think this would be that, but if I bring them together, that's so interesting. You wouldn't think that those two things would go together. Uh, like my new play, the way I'm pitching it is, and this isn't about me, but the way it, mm-hmm. I'm pitching it is, um, uh, it's it's uh, like Doctor Doolittle meets Fargo, and, <laughs> <laughs> which oh you know it's not, I'm not really gonna pitch it that way because that sounds sort of crazy. But when you see it, you'll know it's like mm. oh, it's got vengeance and crypto and opioids and Minneapolis, and it's all gonna be in there. And uh, this is the thing that I was putting off last night when I was watching Jaws three. <laughs> um, Nice. So, I mean, when you, when you first started, did you just start, start sketching uh, what you were going to work on? I mean, what, uh, yeah, like how did it even look? Did you get a notebook? Did you look like yes. a crazy person on the subway or just post-it notes? And you know. it's, it's kind of easier for me to answer that question on projects that I'm working on now because okay. I, I'm so much more systematic now than I was back then. <laughs> um, but like what I do now, it, you know, I, I mentioned I have those, those different uh stories that I'm going to write in this universe, but I have other stories too. I'm always working on stuff, but I have, uh, I use Evernote. I don't know if you're familiar with the, with the application. I've heard of it. It's really good. Um, but I can, cause I can use it on multiple devices. Um, 
But anytime I have any sort of an idea or something uh, that's going to add like, oh, that one scene, I should do blah, 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 or whatever. Or even it's just that, you know, that moment like you were describing when you think about two different things that come together, you're like, oh, that can be one story. Anything at all, I'm just putting it in there and just kind of dumping it. And then when it's time to actually work on a project, then I just get really organized so that I go through all my notes, make some, you know, some real outlines and things like that. And, and I'll get a, a Scrivener document. Scrivener is what I used to, t- to, uh, to write in and then, you know, start making out the um, chapters and all that stuff. And yeah. <laughs> I want to shift gears to the main focus of mythology and religion, but I have one additional question yeah. uh, about the the novel. First, if you were trying to sell this to studio executives for the rights or to somebody who wants to pick the book up, why this book? What are some, what are some comparable things? You know, if you like these things, you might like this novel. I I don't know if this would work as well for studio heads because I have to think about like what the cinema equivalents are. But what I've been saying is that if you enjoy, um, these are two different, uh, um, fantasy books that have come out recently but if you enjoy um stories that like sort of female-led stories that uh deal with um, empire and revolution like the unbroken um by cl clark and if you enjoy sort of grand sweeping um you know world building and things like that uh like the priory of the orange tree by samantha shannon um then you will like city of reckoning has sort of the vibes of those two different books. But you yes. really have that down. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I don't know what any of those things are, <laughs> but I, I have a sense. I don't know that I'm the target demo per se. And I, yeah, I, uh, yeah no offense, uh, but no, I, I, would okay. certainly, I would certainly read it. Uh, uh, you know, and I hope you'll, uh, I can find you, maybe send me a PDF or something, or, you know, I can buy a <laughs> sure. copy um, when it comes out. Are you doing a, uh, and then we'll, we'll switch to the, the myth and everything, but that's great. Yeah. You really nailed that. Cause that's, it's important to know that stuff. I think some <laughs> people just go, ah, oh, it's just my own thing. And it's like, no, no, no. It's like, what are you people? You got to cut through the chase, you know, or, or cut through the noise and just cut to the chase and tell people this is, yeah, da, da, da. Well, this is why I'm self-publishing it because I enjoy mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I enjoy thinking about marketing. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I've done an incredibly good job at it at this point, but I've learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> but I enjoy it. I really, I really enjoy marketing. So, yeah, I've Are thought about this a lot. Are you building a website for it? Is there going to be a, a website? Oh, cool. Where's website, that going to be? It, it will be Neurasia.com. Neurasia.com. Because you're yeah. creating the last podcast we talked about this. You invented a language. <laughs> two <laughs> so oh, <laughs> but um how do you spell neurasia here i'll put it it's on the back of the of the thing okay it's Let right there see. but it's it's um i don't know if it, if this is ah. showing up backwards n-e-r-a-s-i-a.com mm-hmm. n-e-r okay got yep, it neurasia. it's like like uh i mean it's it's pronounced like eurasia with an n but it's spelled like Asia, but then with N-E-R at the beginning. N-E-R in the front. N-E-R yeah. Asia. Okay. And is this part, is that the world? What is it's that? It's the, the continent where uh, these stories take place. I yeah. see. Okay. And, that the, and that's continent is on a moon surrounding a ringed planet. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Trippy. The, pla- the moon is not named. I have not given it a name. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe Interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. And so on the last episode, we were talking about the language, uh, the languages and the world building and all of this. So you mentioned at the top of this uh, episode, mythology and religion and how that all ties into your world building. Let's, let's go into that. What has that been like? I, I know personally when I've, when I was younger and when I was just first starting to write, I could feel that almost like sort of ecstatic creator joy at realizing that 
in front of the blank page, there is a quality of kind of like a, there is like a kind of a, and I don't mean this in any blasphemous way, but there is a kind of a godlike quality. I think it actually drives certain writers mad. Uh, but if you can wrestle with that, uh, it's very, very rewarding. Uh, th- this is my own, I'm just spouting off here, but tell me what, you know, what is mythology and religion and in the real world, what does that all mean to you in terms of as it, you know, as it relates to the, the world that you, that you built here in this novel? Mm-hmm. There, there are basically two aspects to, to this. So the, the first aspect is that of like creating mythology or, 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 or writing with a mythical um, mindset, I guess, which is, which is very relevant for like big epic stories. So what I mean by that is like, okay, <laughs> so a lot of, I mean, pretty much every single human culture, especially the major ones, but as far as I'm aware, like every single major culture has had its epics that sort of define, um, they define the values uh, of the people. They, they kind of will express, you know, a, a sense of like belonging. Like a lot of, a lot of epics will talk about like, um, you know, oh, our, our origins came from this God or whatever, or, um, you know, there'll be some sort of a connection between, those epics and those myths and then how you're supposed to behave in the here and now. Um, and they'll tell you a lot of like social things too. So, you know, what, what makes a hero, what makes a villain, <laughs> this is how to behave. This is how not to behave. Um, that's what I've, that's what I've seen in a lot of the epics that I've read. Uh, I have this goal of, of reading all the major world epics. I'm not, not there, not close yet, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but yeah. And so I think, most of the epics that become that really like define um, a culture, they always kind of come really organically, right? Like they just sort of they're the ones that people enjoy the most, and they rise to the to the top. Um, my my theory on America's uh, epic, <laughs> their main epic at the moment, I would say, is the Marvel universe. Ah, um, sure. A lot of people don't think about it that way, but that's really what it is. I mean, it has the same structure as a lot of these like old epics and since that it's very long there's a lot of characters and they and it tells you about you know what it means to be a hero right and, and it probably is in terms of sheer numbers the most popular yeah mm-hmm. exactly and that's mm-hmm. how i would how i would mark that what is the like what is the Fair epic enough. of a single culture it's what is the one that's popular because that's the one that's resonating with people um but yeah and and so i like thinking about the sort of like um how would you put it the sort of legacy of of epic storytelling um, in the stories that I'm writing, um, and, and try to take some of those lessons that I'm finding from like you know classic epics and things like that, um, in order to in order to to try to make a story that resonates on that kind of really deep psychological level. Um, so that's like one aspect about this like thinking in terms of writing as if you're kind of writing a myth. Um, you know, because there's a lot of like symbolism and things like that. Although I, I think it's important to not like overdo that because <laughs> you can sort of like, it has to kind of come from your own like wellspring of like your, your own psyche in a sense too. Like if you well, try to like, uh, mm-hmm. like there's definitely principles that you can apply, but you can kill it, you know. If you, yeah, you, yeah, there is kind of a grammar of mythology. Right. Uh, you have uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, you mm-hmm. have Jung, you have Eliade. Uh, and you can, as a storyteller, you can do kind of a buffet style thing. Uh, I think Star Wars, the original trilogy was such a great example of something which 
had this incredible mystical arc. And of course it's all woo woo and there's really no there there. Uh, but it, but with the music and the vibe, it's a vibe. It's the force is a vibe, <laughs> right? You don't want to overthink it too much. You know, it's like, no, That's it's a good point. You know, but yeah. So was there a phase in your writing where you, uh, focused wholly on this kind of arena. Like I'm thinking about um, uh, Tolkien and the Silmarillion and, and all of that, that sort of origin story background, or did it sort of emerge from the process of writing the novel itself? Um, not sure I understand the question. Can you oh, say it another uh, way? <laughs> when you were building the, myth, the mythos, the cosmology uh-huh. of the world, did you devote time specifically to that or did it kind of emerge from the, the writing of the story? I think to answer that, um, I will go into that other aspect that I was going to talk about related to myths. Um, And that is um, myths as a, so there's just the aspect of like thinking about the story itself as a myth. But then there's also, you know, if you're creating a world, it will have its own myths. (laughs) And so that becomes an aspect of world building too, um, which uh, has been another thing that I've had a lot of fun building out. um, is like thinking about, okay, there are all these different cultures in this world. What what do they believe about their origins? What, how do what they believe uh, varies? And, and what do these stories tell you about their perspective and about their values? And so one of the things that I did um, in this book is in the different sections, they each start with a different myth, with a different story of the, of the, um, the, the world itself. Um, and these different stories are telling you what these different, how, what these different cultures value um, in terms of what's relatable, um, what is um, relevant to the story itself. So there are these uh, people in, in the world of Norasia called aberrants, which are, it's kind of like chimera. Like they have like, you know, they're people, they have like animal parts, like there's winged people. Oh, why do you have a wing on the cover? You know, and there's like horned people, stuff like that. Um, and some people see the aberrants as, as just normal. Some of them think of them as like gods, the people that you're supposed to respect. And others see them as very dangerous and, and, and that they need to be um, persecuted and, and oppressed and, and whatnot. And so these different stories will, will tell you about that. Um, but yeah, to answer that question, yes, that is something that I've spent time on. Um, and, uh, and that's a lot of fun because it, it's less about like the style of this particular fantasy. It's, it's not a super... You know, it's not high fantasy. Like, there isn't, like, a lot of magic in this world. Mm. Um, it's just a lot more, like, real feeling and more, like, gritty and in-your-face kind of kind of a style of writing for this one. Um, so most of the, the mythos is, well, is it true? Is it not? It's kind of in that sense of, like, this is, this is what the people here believe about their origins. I'm not going to say whether or not it's true or not, <laughs> but, um, right. A yeah. little bit of a postmodern thing. What is, what is real? What is true? All or at of least that. I'm leaving it open so that readers can draw their own mm. conclusions, I suppose. Yeah. That's always the, that's always the best way. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you were working on this and as it pertains to the myth and everything, did you ever find yourself sort of delusionally inhabiting the world as you were writing, you would go walk around. I mean, is that an experience you've ever had? Like, I guess, what does it feel like after a long day of writing this and a breakthrough? <laughs> Has it ever gotten weird? Um, yes. <laughs> I think I know what you're asking and the answer yeah. is yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm it's of the, hard to get out of it. Right. Right. I think there are lots of things open up to me when I think of that question and, yeah. and the answer to that question. Weird things can happen when you start writing. 
where the world starts to reflect back uh, something that's going on in your own mind and you start seeing the world differently. It's like you're sort of reprogramming your own mind as you're working on something. I've never written anything 800, 800 pages long, so I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires a kind of obsessiveness that uh, <laughs> most people I don't think will ever quite uh, experience. I think it's a, a bit of an outlier pursuit to write an 800-page uh, novel. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I'm I'm very much like when I'm I definitely have that like obsessive tendency to me. Like when I'm very interested in something, if I want to learn about something or I want to do something, I want to go and like do it thoroughly and fully. And if I'm not willing to like commit that hard, I'm not really interested in it. <laughs> I'm like in or out. It's like that's just my personality, I guess. Well, so you have in this novel mythology that begins every chapter. Every uh, every section, so there's like five section. stories. Okay, yeah, right. Okay, like great. And does it does it play in with the plot? Is it integral to the plot? What these what these this ideology that these various groups have is it? It's yes. central to the plot. You're nodding. Okay. <laughs> yeah, or at least at the very least, it's giving you some context that helps you further understand some of the characters' actions. You know, because it's showing you what what their culture believes and it's also contrasting so like there there are three major stories in there that tell a very different narrative about the aberrants right so there's so there's a there's a cohesion to the stories they're all about a similar thing um but they but they express very different values and very different perspectives of these different cultures you've been reading world sagas tell me about that what uh have you been reading have you been reading i'm trying to think gilgamesh and uh the icelandic one and i can't name the icelandic one it sounds like i can't even oh there's a whole bunch of those yeah i i have not read gilgamesh yet that's like one of the biggest ones and i need to that's that's Mm. probably next on my list um (laughs) it's hard to find these in good translations too a lot of times the translations are like what is this yeah. Yeah. So I've read like the summary of it, but I, I do want to sit and like actually read it. But the 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 biggest one that was really influential on me last year was um, the Ramayan of Hindu mythology, um, and that that kickstarted my like because at that point I was I was re- trying to read a bunch of epics and I was trying to read a bunch of mythology, and then that that was what kind of got me interested in the religion angle too because you can't really study Hindu mythology without studying Hinduism, <laughs> you know, the religion and, and like seeing how all these, um, you know, seeing how the, how the myths and the epics integrate with the, with the religious values of a culture too, is what kind of um, drew my interest there. And yeah, and that's been helping me do a better job at creating those two um, because <laughs> I I grew up like evangelical Christian and at and years ago I I was very religiously illiterate. Um I was just basically familiar with my own with my own religion and that was like all I knew. <laughs> um and I remember a while ago my dad was pointing out that I was using a lot of like Christianese in my in my fiction and my attempt to like create religions like uh-huh. in the story he was like this feels sure. like christianity i'm like no it isn't because i didn't really understand like how different religions can vary and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so and uh more recently i've been yeah getting a lot better about that and i think <laughs> that's made my world building much better as a result too right interesting when you say evangelical how hardcore are we talking here was it are you sort of passing <laughs> passing out chick tracts at the mall or was it <laughs> pretty I would say almost to that level. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, I, um, 
I think I thought of myself as being more evangelical than I was in the sense that like I, I didn't really evangelize very much, but I just felt guilty about it all the time that I wasn't evangelizing more. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. And how do you find that that experience growing up as a Protestant uh, Christian in America, you've already touched on it a little bit, but was there a time where you really broke through and you said, you know, I am, I mean, how long have you been looking at other religions? I know there, there can be a barrier for people uh, mm-hmm. if you grow up in a very devout kind of serious family of even like reading Buddha, you know, reading Buddhism or reading. Yeah. 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 It so was breaking out was, a little. Mm-hmm. It was seen as kind of weird, like, like learning about other religions. There was almost like this like creepy aspect that like, Oh, like that's going to be like, demonic or something i don't know it was yeah. just really mm-hmm. weird like oh, prejudice totally. against especially the more mystical the religion that that was going to somehow be like you were going to get invaded by demons or something if you yeah, studied the, it there, there so, are people on the bird website who are like yoga is satanic and it's like okay yes. whoa 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 <laughs> yes <laughs> slow that down was, here that was definitely i definitely used to hear things like that um and which is such a shame because i feel like now some of the myths and things that I enjoy the most come from some of those more mystical type styles. Like right now I'm, I'm studying um, like European paganism, especially like the Celtic traditions. And I love it. It's so like the, the sort of whimsy, whimsical nature of it. And the sort of like, you know, the sense of like the, the fairies that are, that are under the ground and that you know, are going <laughs> to play tricks on you. And mm-hmm. I, I, it's like, it's such a fun world to explore and it's such a shame that i used to think of it as like creepy because it's not it's just, it's mm. a little bit it's a little bit weird but it's weird in like a really cool way <laughs> you know it's it's yeah, yeah i love it <laughs> yeah that is interesting there's a very fine film that you might appreciate that i oh. really like it's a documentary called american Mis- mystic uh oh, okay. and it uh it focuses on three subjects one is a lakota man who's going to do a young man who's going to go do the sundance um, okay. which it's quite intense. It's where they they have a tree and the men do this each year and it's like a repentance ritual. They, they take buffalo splints, like bone from the shins of the buffalo and they whittle them into like, like little daggers and they jab them into their chests or their back and they hoist themselves up to the sky and like repent for their wrongdoings you know this it's called the sundance it's where sundance comes from so they focus on him uh and then they focus on um a neo-pagan in california who's a witch and she's doing fairy magic and all of this stuff and she's totally wild and then there's a uh spiritualist this black fellow out in Mm -hmm. upstate new york who is into like laying on hands and everything and it's just this lovely little sly documentary about kind of these fringe religious people, although I would, I would hesitate to call the Native American fringe in America, but nevertheless, yeah. min- minority religious practices in the United States. Um, uh, I'm going to write America. this down. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would I, like to see that. Yeah, I mean, I, and the only reason I, I hold forth like that is because I think it really is in, in line with the, with the subject of what we're, what we're discussing. Um, you know, Christianity has a fantastic, and if you watch it, let me know what you think of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the secret of that documentary is that she's making the case that film is its own kind of mystic practice. Uh. So you watch the film and you begin to go, oh, she's doing, she's showing you too that there's mysticism in the, the very act of filmmaking, which I love. I love that. And I love never, thinking about, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite films on that theme is um, 
uh, Hugo. Did you see Hugo? Uh, no, but didn't, wasn't that Scorsese? Um, Am I confused? I think it might be. Yeah, go on. Though. It's, it's the one with the little boy who lives in the, um, the big clock. Yeah, it's, um, it's Scorsese did that movie. I need oh, to yeah, see yeah. that. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and it's, it's basically like because they're, they're talking about the history of film in that, in that movie and, and how closely aligned it is with the history of magic <laughs> about like how it was, you know, these magicians that then became filmmakers. And it just plays this theme throughout the whole thing where the whole movie is just it's like you're watching a, movie, a magic trick and you're, I don't know. It's, I love stuff like that. I need to watch that. Uh, and that's no joke. When you go to, if you're ever in upstate New York, you're ever in Rochester, you want to go see the Kodak Museum uh, because, and if I may, in American Mystic, the, the spiritualist um, goes up to this community in upstate New York that's 30, 45 minutes outside of Rochester. There used to, used to be a train line between Rochester and this place. And this place is still famous for uh, having a, like a little quaint little main street and it's the palmist, the person who does the palmistry and then it's the tarot reader and then it's the fortune teller and they have this little community there. And it's easy to forget that the early history of photography was really indelibly tied up with occultism and what what is the the saying? Any any uh, advanced technology uh -huh. is um, uh, indistinguishable from magic. I can't remember mm -hmm. who said that, but uh, I can't remember either. Yeah, yeah, but that I, mean, I, just, I love that stuff. Um, so yeah, and then and you forget too that upstate New York that was like Silicon Valley of its day. Photography mm -hmm. was was a sea change in in um, in thinking. Uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about or ask you about sort yeah. of is Christian mysticism. There's an awful lot of mystic tradition. I'm, I'm a Catholic and I was raised Catholic. So I'm, I'm sort of as close to a pagan as you can get as a Christian, <laughs> famously. Yeah. And I, I, I never understood how Protestants look at us, but I'm slowly starting to begin to understand. Like, <laughs> like, and I think it's great. I, you know, it's just sort of like natural for me. And obviously the mm -hmm. Catholic church is a big mess and it's got tons of problems and I'm not mm -hmm. proselytizing or anything, but what do you, have you, have you delved into any of the mystic traditions inside, you know, Christianity? I think um, I realized I didn't fully answer one of your questions earlier. So oh, yeah. Answer it now. Bring, um, it, bring it on. <laughs> which is that like, because there was, you know, my my own like personal be uh, beliefs and all that has had it. Ha it was a journey, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, but there was a period of time when I was basically a mystic myself. And I think that was part of what kind of got my my interest in, in a lot of this. Um, I'm not now, I would just consider myself an atheist now. Um, but like there was definitely a period where that was like, that was more my perspective. Um, I, I didn't, it was even, I would say, cause I was kind of like a progressive Christian for a little while, but then I, I was just kind of a mystic. I didn't really have, I wouldn't have, I didn't really align with any religion per se, but I still, I still had like a, you know, spiritual belief or belief in God kind of a thing. Um, and yeah. And I think that, I feel like that was like, the best <laughs> experience that I had like spiritually. Um, and I don't know, I think it just like, it's just made me really curious to, to, to learn about like different people's experiences and different people's ways of looking at the world and, um, and like what it is that, that they get out of, of their spiritual practice and um, yeah. And see if they're, <laughs> if, even though I'm not, I'm not interested in joining a religion per se, um, I'm always interested to see if there are like things that I can learn. And I feel like, especially if, if there's a, such a big 
religion that you know a huge just a huge number of people are, are, are following or have followed um i i have to i have to think that that there's <laughs> that there's some value in there that that it wouldn't get that that, that popular if not and uh so i don't know <laughs> you don't you don't sound like a very bigoted closed-minded atheist <laughs> so was there a day where you woke up and said you know what god's dead doesn't exist doesn't matter did something happen uh what was that like no, and no, it wasn't that nothing happened. It was just that I, I, I just was no longer convinced by the kind of things I used to be convinced by. Mm. Um, you need some chick tracts. <laughs> different explanations made more sense to me. And mm. I just kind of, there was kind of a, a moment or two when I realized that. I was like, yeah, I don't really believe in anything anymore. Hmm. Um, yeah. One of my favorite lines from Lebowski, uh, you know, oh, just ignore him. He's a nihilist. Oh, that must be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that line? No, I don't know uh, what you're referring to. The Big Lebowski, where the, the nihilist is lying in the pool. Uh, that's all right. Oh, <laughs> Do you not know Lebowski? I guess not. Oh I'm boy, like you got trying to make the connection. In my oh brain. yeah, yeah. You got, you've got to, you've got to do. You want to talk about world building? The L.A. that they built in the Big Lebowski is incredible. With the is that a, that a film? I assume. Oh yeah, you have to. Oh yeah, How you have to watch. Okay. You've got to watch the Big Lebowski. It's one of the most quotable films. Uh, How does that spell Lebowski? Lebowski, uh, L-E-B-O-W-S-K-I. Lebowski. Got yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I didn't mean to turn this into the hey, Kevin talks about movies, but <laughs> whatever. Really? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, you've been so candid with your answers and everything. And, and mm-hmm. when you were describing uh, that turn yeah. into a more atheistic attitude, and then what I was hearing is a lot of empathy and a mm-hmm. lot of curiosity. And I think those are things that probably are serving you well as a novelist because you have mm-hmm. to kind of be an actor to be a novelist. You have to put yourself in the mindset of the, the different characters. Are you writing um, the different characters' voices in terms of like, how is the novel written? Are you in their mind at some point or how does it work? Yeah, this, it's probably part of the reason why it's such a big book is because it's very, it's a very deep point of view um, style uh, for this particular book. So you're very much in each of the characters' minds. Um, And there are, (laughs) there are several characters. So you've got a lot of plot points to go through. Um, And, but yeah, it's, it's very like very immersive in that way. And definitely like it, I have thought about how the process for, writing that kind of a style, the sort of deep POV style. It is, I mean, I'm not a professional actor by any, by any stretch, but like, it seems to me, <laughs> someone who's worked with actors, that it's a very similar mindset that I have to go through. Um, that like, because yeah, like the kind of thinking is very similar to like, you know, an actor when you're about to, you know, get on the stage or get in front of the camera, you got to do all this backstory work and you're thinking about your character's motivations and you know, and you're trying to think about like, you know, the deeper le- levels of um, what's motivating them and what is it that they want in this moment and, and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I do all of that too. And so even if you know, I'm not writing from a character's point of view, there's a lot that I know about about them, about what their motivations are. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's very, it's very immersive. Um, and it, it can be very hard to like start my day doing that and then pull out of it. And then like, okay, now I got to do my normal work. And I'm like sitting there like, trying not to think about the story I was just super, super uh, immersed in just a yeah, moment ago. Totally yeah. relate to that. It's yeah. like an act of kind of going a little crazy, like controlled. It's like a controlled <laughs> demolition of your psyche every day. Huh. And then, like and then it's like, Oh, I got to make lunch. Or I got to, I got to, you know, uh, just date night with my 
you know, my partner and you just do, you have this like shell shocked look sometimes. I mean, I definitely lose my mind when I start writing a play. It's like, mm. it, you're hearing voices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, hey, hey, honey, I'm going to go hear voices in the room and try to write them down. You know, it's, yeah. When you just break it down, it's like totally crazy. I'm going to go live in a different world. You know, when you're writing your novel, I'm going to go live in this, this fantasy world. Um, now, mm. but it is fun when you, when you get to put the book out and hopefully people enjoy it. Are you going to do a, uh, like a release event? Uh, event? Uh, what are you going to do? You're do like an online thing? Are you going to do a reading? What's the plan? I haven't, I haven't announced that yet. I am planning something or, or I'm, or yeah. I'm um, I, I, um, yeah, <laughs> I would like to do like a, uh, uh, probably an Instagram live thing where, well, I, I will uh, read from the, from the book, but I haven't officially put that together yet. So yeah. People are doing lots of different things to try to, to hype their, their release and everything. And yeah. everybody will talk about content, content. It's like, well, yeah, you have content, but do, have you written an 800 page book? I don't think so. So it's like, you can, you have it now, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, what would be pie in the sky, best case scenario for the book in your, in your estimation, what would make you mm. deliriously happy um, for the, for the world? Well, the thing is, is that, um, in terms of like marketing strategies and stuff like that, it's often very different when you're self-publishing as opposed to when you're like more traditional publishing. Because with traditional publishing, the, that like big book launch is super important. Whereas with self-publishing, it's like having lots of books is super important. <laughs> so I don't have like a super, a lot of pressure on making the first one big. Um, but I would like to make the second one a lot bigger um, because that way, like before the second one comes out, um, I'm going to do a lot more pushing marketing for the first one. So then you have that, like, you know, it's, it's easier, it's easier to do that when they're close together. Right. <laughs> instead of like, here's a book, read it. And then great. Instead it's like, here's a book. Oh, and the sequel's about to come out too. Um, do you have a target <laughs> deadline? Have you started working on the second one? It sounds like you may have. Yeah, I have, I have some goals, but one of the things that I've learned from the first book is that I need to not put a set date until I know that I can meet that date. <laughs> so I'm not going to announce my goal um, until I know that I can uh, reach it. But yes, I have totally get it. private okay. deadlines. <laughs> All right, private deadlines. Those are often very, yeah, I like private deadlines sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. So do you, you have a website too, don't you? Do you want to plug that? Uh, yeah. Give us your plugs again as we wind down here. Sure. I have my blog, which is briannadasilva.blog, um, and that's B-R-I-A-N-N-A-D-A-S-I-L-V-A. -A -A. Um, and that's where, I, you know, I just do a lot of updates and stuff like that and write my opinions. Um, and, and then I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you search my name, you'll find me there too. Um, I'm, I'm curious underscore storyteller on Instagram, which is my uh, my my handle there. It's yeah. a pretty good handle for you based on what I, I think this, this interview and the other one before. And then of course it's going to be at Neurasia.com. Is that live now? Yeah. It's not yet. Okay. Um, and the, the pressure is on for me to get that ready because it's literally on the back cover. So all right, well, yeah, that, that'll be coming soon. What's the release date? Uh, September 21st. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. 21. Nine twenty one twenty one. All right. I'm very excited for you. N e r a s i a. Uh, just winding down in the in the final few minutes. Uh, yeah. We were talking about empathy and mm -hmm. what it had me think of. And this is a bit of a plug as well. But it's yeah. You know, this podcast I've I've uh, not grinded at quite as hard because I've turned my attention. I'm very happy to have this interview. Uh, mm -hmm. I've turned my attention to. 
uh, Art of Darkness with, with my uh, collaborator, Brad Kelly. And the format of that show is that we, inter- or we don't interview, this is the interview show. We each once a month tackle the subject of a dead creator. Hmm. Uh, and so I've, I've just done Marlon Brando. Prior to that, I had done Tennessee Williams. I'm going to be doing Sarah Kane next. Um, Brad's done a whole bunch of wonderful episodes. Kafka, I did three hours on Stanley Kubrick. Uh, and, and we don't just play the hits either. We've done some more obscure ones. Junior Kimbrough, Brad did a, um, a Johnny Cash episode that's absolutely mental. Um, and it's at artofdarkpod.com. But the, it's not just a pitch. Like the, the act of getting into this, the state of mind of these subjects, I found to be often overwhelming. Like when I started to do the Virginia Woolf episode, it really started to affect me. Uh, hmm. because of course we know how that ended for her, uh, hmm. it didn't end well. <laughs> and a lot of, a lot of these creative people, they had, they've had tortured lives. I mean, Marlon Brando was a, a maniac and, and it, it, some, hmm. some terrible things happened to his children. I guess this is, a, this is a long-winded way of saying that I admire you for what you were saying earlier about that, that empathy, that, that desire. It's a, there, there's a certain amount of maturity, I think, that it hmm. takes have you found like this practice of sort of like putting yourself into your character's shoes, reading about these other myths and these religions and all this, has it, has it helped you grow as a person? Has it affected your life uh, in your day-to-day life? How, how has it affected it? Um, totally. You know, it's interesting. I thought about this a lot too, because I don't know how much of this is from reading a lot of books and how much of it is from writing a lot of books, but I'm sure it's both. <laughs> but there's this process that comes when you spend a lot of your day-to-day life putting yourself in other people's shoes even though they're fictional people they're made up people you made them up or someone else made them up um and being able to you know understand them and empathize with them and cheer them on and all this stuff especially when these are people that are very different from you right like that's one of the things i really enjoy (laughs) about writing i don't write self-insert fiction i don't write about people who are just like me i like to write about people who are very different from me and try to understand what makes them tick and, and what it would be like to be them and um but i've noticed that that you know, that experience like over my life has absolutely made it, um, made it more, I wouldn't say it's not easier. It's like more, maybe it is easier, <laughs> but to empathize with real people and to, to try to understand where real people are coming from. And I think, I think it makes it more accessible. I think it's more like that. That's probably a better way to say it. It's like, it, it makes empathy more accessible and, and, um, yeah. And you don't have to work as hard for it. You know, yeah. I guess it's easier. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think empathy is a, is a muscle and mm-hmm. you have to work, work it out. And mm-hmm. this is, this is one of the reasons I th- I'm really like art for art's sake. I'm that kind yeah. of a guy. Like it's, it's wonderful if you could end up being Kanye at soldier field, doing your crazy performance art and selling millions of records and buying half the state of Wyoming uh, for your ranch. That's amazing if you can do that. But on the other, other end of the spectrum, just somebody painting in their room, discovering mm-hmm. something that, I mean, that objectively on its own has value. I'm a real deep believer in that. I totally uh, agree. Yeah. And that, that is the hero's journey in a funny way, not to be too sappy, but we're, we're definitely talking about the hero's journey here and, and the work of making art is that journey. Uh, mm-hmm. it, winding down here at the very end, what, what is driving your characters in this story? What is the, the thing they have to accomplish um, in City of Reckoning or else 
terrible things happen. <laughs> what is it? I, I think on, on the deepest level, each of them in this book is motivated by um, a desire for freedom. And that, that looks like different things for each of them. But that's one of the, that's one of the themes that is certainly um, tying them together. Topical. I think freedom <laughs> is, uh, we're right on the edge of something here. And we need, we need to probably meditate a little more about it. So I, I think that's a good, mm. good subject. Uh, Brianna De Silva, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm Kevin Kautzman. Is there anything else you're, you're dying to say here at the very end? Just go to BriannaDeSilva.com. Dot uh, blog, sorry, I, I lost it. Dot blog, blog, sorry. Uh, <laughs> blog, and then we have Norasia.com. I'll put these links in the show, note, show notes. And uh, let's do this again when you release the second one. Uh, sure. <laughs> and I want to hear, hear how this goes as you release this. And uh, I think everybody hearing this, you definitely support uh, an artist who's uh, putting out your first, your first novel. What an incredible accomplishment. You must feel all warm and glowy inside. Is that how you feel? Thank you. No, I really feel burnt out. I spent so much work on it, to be honest. <laughs> well, I hope, well, I hope this has been a fun hour for you. And I, I also yeah. hope that you're, you're able to get a break. Maybe just pump the brakes and, and go and watch, uh, go and watch uh, The Big Lebowski and, and go and watch uh, American Mystic. Good advice. Really, let me yeah. know what you think of, of both. If you oh, watch those, well. send me an email or find me on the Bird website. Uh, I'm at Kevin Kautzman on the Bird website. You're on the Bird website too, right? I am on the Bird website, yes. What is it? Is it your name? Yeah, it's my name. Brianna okay. underscore De Silva. Yeah. Brianna under, underscore De Silva. All right, Brianna, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, this is the Get This Podcast, getthispodcast.com. I'm Kevin Kautzman. Take care. Later. Congrats. Bye-bye. Thank you.